Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. I'm your host Mark Hirons and today we are joined by Daniele Fiendaka, co-author of Creative Superpowers. Creative Superpowers is all about equipping yourself for the age of creativity. During this podcast we talk through the book and its four main overarching pillars, teacher, hacker, maker and thief. Really hope you enjoy the podcast, this is my chat with Daniele Fiendaka. There we go then, welcome to the podcast. Hi, lovely, great to be here. So can we start off with who you are um, and then we'll talk about the book. Yeah, so I'm Daniele Fiendarka. I'm co-founder of Utopia. Uh, Utopia is a culture change consultancy. Um, we, we kind of talk about rewiring business for the age of creativity, but fundamentally we uh, help businesses um, deliver more purposeful, more inclusive and more entrepreneurial cultures. Nice. Um, so what was your specific role in the, in the company? I'm co-founder. I co-founded it with Nadia Powell. Uh, so Nadia's um, one of um, the authors in the book, actually. Uh, but I met Nadia uh, just over six years ago at South by Southwest. Um, we were both at the time heads of innovation at agencies. And we set up something called Innovation Social. Uh, and we've worked together ever since doing different projects like the Great British Diversity Experiment. And then uh, about uh, 18 months ago, we decided to set up a business together uh, that really um, was outside advertising. We kind of left advertising, but it was all, all about culture change. Nice. What does that mean? Like, what was culture change? It's a really good question. I mean, fundamentally, I mean, it does tie in with the book. Um, you know, the book does uh, talks about equipping yourself for the age of creativity. Um, culture change is just, I mean, I, I've, I mean, do you know, do you know Hyper Island, the digital school? I've read about it in the book, but uh, yeah, I didn't yeah. know. Oh, 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 great. Um, so Hyper Island is one of the first really dedicated schools that looked at uh, the skills that you needed in the digital world. So they started with CD-ROMs uh, and when they were, uh, the founders actually had business, which was all about um, delivering CD-ROMs for clients. And they realized that there was just the shortest of the, oh, there was a gap in the skill set. So they thought, okay, let's, as you do, let's just start our own school. And so, I've been doing a lot of work with Hyper Island. I'm one of the masterclass speakers. And, you know, for the last eight years, nine years, um, I'd been going into businesses and really looking at how the impact digital had had on them as a business. So, you know, even though I worked in advertising, I was, I was the CEO of Profero, I was the head of innovation at Shell, you know, that was something I'd done on the side uh, and in breaks. And, you know, I just, I loved going into business and really understanding how business needed to change as a result of this changing world. I think if we go back to the book, what the book's really about is when, when we used to talk to clients about digital uh, and the change with digital was having them, a lot of the time they kind of went blank. You know, digital doesn't, doesn't actually mean that much. I mean, most things are digital now. Uh, and I think it was going back to about three years ago when I was at South by Southwest, um, and AI was the, it was the first time that AI was the trend. I mean, I think that's the moment at which I kind of got this light bulb moment that went, wow, you know, if we look at the internet and the impact it's had on culture, on business, on everything, AI is going to really do something I think we just can't even imagine now. Mm. Uh, and I think that was the moment that I started thinking, well, wait a sec, if we you know, if AI is going to have the impact that I believe it's going to have on the workplace, on jobs, on us as individuals and on society, what is it that's going to differentiate us as humans uh, from robots? And really, there's only two things that would differentiate us from, from robots. Uh, and that is um, creativity and emotional intelligence. Yeah, that's a scary world, though, isn't it? I think it is. I think it is scary, but I think at the same time, you know, humans have shown that they can adapt. And I think um, a good friend of mine, actually, Andy Sandos, who's that now the head of digital at Deloitte, you know, he just said, you know, he, he said a great phrase, which I always remember a couple of years ago at an event I was organised. He said, "I'm just waiting for technology to free me," right. um, and really talking about how technology will free us in order to be much more creative and take out the drudgery, but also free us in terms of giving us information that allows us uh, to be more creative, you know, give us the, the data that, that will, you know, all of a sudden give us insights that we just never had before. Yeah. Wow. 
yeah i'm interested to see where it goes obviously it's gonna be a couple of years before everyone takes over and all the robots take over but yeah that's gonna be a while yeah <laughs> uh, right the book then so the book is called creative superpowers uh can you tell us a bit more about it yeah so uh, i mean the book really looks at and i think we kind of stumbled on this and if we look at the, the you know one of the superpowers being making i mean our last book this is the kind of the third book we published uh, the first two books I actually, we actually self-published under Creative Social, but um, we, you know, this we uh, crowdfunded. But the, the previous book was actually called Hacker Make a Teacher Thief, so about four years ago, uh, and it was called um, Adver- uh, Hacker Make a Teacher Thief: Advertising for Next Generation. And the title really just came from one of my co-editors uh, of the previous book, Anna Angelic, who had read all the book and just said. Now, there's these, really, these four themes that seem to be coming out and they're hacker, maker, teacher and thief. And so that's what we called it. I mean, it just was a, it was this name and, and all that's happened really over the last three to four years is the, the deeper I've gone into these four powers, I've really started, we really started to go, well, wait, actually, there's something really interesting about these four powers. There's a reason why, you know, when you get a group of creative directors to talk about the future of advertising, there's a reason why these powers are coming out and coming to the fore. Um, and so for us, what we really looked at is, okay, if we believe, uh, as we believe it's in age of creativity, what are the going to be the powers that will make us super relevant? What are the powers that are going to make us thrive in a nature of creativity? And uh, all the book does is goes... Well, I wouldn't even say much deeper. What the book does is explores those four creative superpowers because the previous book was just the title. And so what this book is doing is really bringing to life the superpowers of maker, hacker, teacher and thief and really getting people to understand how powerful they can be, both in terms of coming up with ideas, but also in terms of problem solving. So I think if we look at... Uh, the World Economic Forum back in 2015, you know, they asked the top leaders in the world what the the most uh, the key skills were for workers, uh, and creativity was at number ten. Uh, and then they said, okay, what's what are going to be the skills in 2020? And creativity jumps up to number three. But right. the top two were critical problem solving and complex problem solving. And I think for me, if I look at those superpowers, they actually. Um, you know, we, we as a consultant, even though we, we wrote a book really about creativity, you know, initially we didn't necessarily put the book in front of our clients because we were doing things like looking at inclusion and looking at ways you can solve and become more entrepreneurial and inclusive. And actually, it didn't take us very long to work out that the skills we were using with our clients, irrespective of what we were doing for them, were actually hacking, making, teaching and thieving. So it is super relevant. I think to everything anyone does and you know my background is advertising I know a lot of your audience will be design uh, and I haven't specifically worked in design but you know I'm actually quite interested to hear from you uh, because um, you know I think the superpowers we've we've covered are relevant to everyone I mean we, we, did, we didn't set out to write a book um, for any industry for any industry in particular we actually set, set out to write a business book that's relevant to anyone um, so I, I would love to hear from you in terms of um, whether whether you found that true when it comes down to design. Yeah, it does. Yeah, well, I think, it, like you say, it applies to a lot of, lot of different fields. Uh, I wrote my own little notes as I was going through the book about what I learned from each chapter. Um, I'll, share, I'll share those in a minute. If we could go through the, the four chapters and, and sort of just break them down and what, and what each one means in terms of from an author's point of view, that'd be really useful. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so let's let's go through, I mean, Let's probably do Hacker last. I mean, Hacker's, Hacker's the one that I've taken responsibility for one and I yeah. am speaking for my other authors. So uh, just to give them, so the, the first one was Maker. So that's Laura Jordan Bambach, she created Maker. And really what Maker is, is just recognizing that um, makers are the people that actually change and create culture. It's recognizing that getting, doing something and putting it out there is is really the first thing that you need to do and and actually it's until you do that you're really not going to know sometimes where it's going to go and what was interesting for me there was kind of two things that i'll talk about well you know maker for us it was kind of two in two journeys if i go through my personal journey um i'm not creative uh with a big c i'm a creative with a small c uh, some people just because of my background uh because of 
being co-founder of Creative Social, which was, was a global network of creative directors. I think I, I was a creative director, but the, the reality is I'm actually a business person. Uh, not many people know this, but I'm actually a qualified chartered accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for, so for me, um, if you look at Maker, when we looked at the four superpowers, I always thought that that was the one that I had the least skills on, if I'm honest. Um, mm. I thought, uh, I always saw Maker as being someone that makes stuff with their hands. And it's only since working with Laura and, you know, reading the chapter is I've started to realise that Maker, I am probably my superpower, it probably is making, you know, because I, because I, I, I spend a lot of time putting ideas into the world. So a very good example of that is uh, Token Man, which is an initiative I co-founded four years ago to get men into the gender equality discussion. Uh, and four years later, that's taking, you know, that's kind of taken me uh, myself in, through my own journey, personal journey, but also it's what inspired Utopia. You know, the reason I did a culture change business is because it was very clear that uh, there was a huge gap in terms of how people were approaching inclusion and diversity. And we felt we could fill that gap. Uh, and hopefully we are doing that. I think the second thing that's interesting about Maker is we had a big discussion around is it maker or is it doer? Um, you know, and actually what we realized is doing, while doing is f- so important and having doers in your team um, is fundamental and doers are great because they get stuff done. The making is different. The making is actually taking a new idea and putting it into the market. And that's not what doers do. Doers take the ideas that other people come up with and actually get them and help them bring them to fruition. So they're fundamental to getting those ideas to the market. But making is, is, is very different. I think there's also a second element of making, which is just understanding the brain and how the brain works and just recognizing that as creatives, um, just making stuff is really important just to allow our brains to free up and give us the space to have ideas. Yeah. All right. That's, and the thing that the main thing I took away from this chapter as well, the maker one is uh, to always be creating um, with your hands as well. Like you're saying at the beginning of the week, we just mentioned um, lots of designers, especially are always digital. Now we don't do yes. enough sketching and, we, yeah, there's something that about that chapter. Reading it is thinking always about making stuff with your hands and going back to that, uh, and not forgetting about that sketching phase, or even even just once in a while having a little bit of a painting session, or, or like just getting messy with other materials because we can be really blind to that sometimes. Um, and, and if I look at so if I look at a designer that I just absolutely love, I don't. Do you know Mr. Bingo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a yeah, picture. Have you, I think it was your Instagram. Uh, yeah. Have you have you have you interviewed Bingo yet? No, no, no. I, I sent an email out to him, um, but I, I, I think Carl's a bit cocky. I sent, you know how his style is like swearing yeah. and stuff. <laughs> Put in the title, just another fucking interview. And I thought that I might have thrown him off a little bit, but well, um, let me let me let me see. I know I know Bingo very well, so let's see what we can do. But amazing. Um, I think I think what I love about Bingo is just his way of getting products to market. I mean, I love what he does. Uh, And I just love, you know, come back to, you know, he does everything by hand and that's what he's always done. But what I love about him is what he does is now he has a huge fan base, you know, people that really love his work. So he's, 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 and he's cultivated that and he's, and he's added lots of value to those fan base. And there's a reason why they're fans. But I just love the fact that every day, whenever he, whenever he has an idea, he just draws it, right? And he, and he just shares it on Instagram and he shares it on Twitter. And if he gets enough likes, he makes it into a product. Yeah, yeah. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and that's what that's what determines what he brings to market is is how much people like his product. And I think what what a lo- what a lovely luxury to have to have that. But you know, he's he put a lot of work in uh, to get to that stage. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way of doing um, sort of product testing as well before you actually spend like, a load of money on, the, um, on on making it and then realizing it doesn't sell, which I've done in the past and sort of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of money on. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. Uh, do you want to go through the next chapter? Yeah, so the next chapter, so I'm going to skip on a come up to hack and last. The next chapter is Scott Morrison, um, who is a co-founder, uh, it's founder of The Boom, uh, founder and bringer of The Boom, should be the correct title. Uh, and just come back to Laura, so I didn't mention Laura, is 
is uh, Chief Creative Officer, Mr. President. But coming back to Scott, Scott, what the Teach One fundamentally does is recognises that when a world is moving so fast, um, that the person that you need to teach first and foremost is yourself. So Scott talks about that a lot and he, he really, I think he anchored his whole section around Alvin Toffler, the, 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 the brilliant quote, and I'm probably going to get it wrong off the top of my head, but you know, he, Alvin Toffler said the illiterate of the 21st century are not going to be those that can't read, read or write. They're the people that can't learn, unlearn and relearn. And that's really what the teacher chapter is, is getting you to look at uh, what is it, what is it that you can do to educate yourself. So, you know, one of one of the essays within there uh, is by David Erickson of Hyper Island. So uh, he really looks at, um, you know, the doing by learning. Um, actually, he takes the uh, learning by doing, which is the high island way, and it's everything that we do actually, you know, a lot of our work is actually, um, I've learned most of what I do really now from high island, which has been fantastic. But he kind of switches that slight in doing, doing my learning. There's a great chapter within there uh, in terms of street wisdom. So David Pearl uh, came up with this idea of actually learning from the street and really taught telling his story. And then my business partner, Nadia, really looks at um, experience and how uh, we it, it, experience to a certain extent is great but we, we, sometimes it's overrated and actually the people that we need to be learning off are the people that are younger than us because actually they're coming through uh, and they're the ones who are who are just taking the initiative to um, create a podcast they can yeah. speak to yeah. the <laughs> they want to speak to but you know, my point is they're the ones that we can, who are actually doing new things. They're the ones who are actually helping to create culture. So there is so much we can learn from them. So it's really about how we need to take responsibility for our own teaching uh, and how uh, and, and and who we uh, and the different places we can learn from. Absolutely. Yeah, this, this is really the bit you said about the end um, about uh, learning from young people as well. So I think I thought it was really interesting to include that. Um, as in, as, as when I, was, I can't speak today. When I was reading it, uh, I was thinking about my grandparents and how I'm teaching them how to use iPads or how to use a computer. Yeah, yeah. And they're always on about the news and, and business stuff. And, and my granddad's very into finance. And he, yeah, I could learn loads about finance from him, but you know, he, he knows nothing about today's world. Um, so he, yeah, if he, if, if he was wanting to learn and, and listen for a few moments, then he'd, he'd probably learn so much more than. Then he knows so it's, it's really interesting how you can learn from young even like even me as a youngster 20 year old i think you can learn from people who are still at school the different trends and totally how to use snapchat properly and uh, like well, like young girls deleting instagram posts after five minutes because it doesn't get enough likes like, like the trends of how to get the most likes out of social media posts or like, it's just stuff like that you, you can learn so much from from younger people it's yeah it's, it's really good um, yeah, but yeah that, that that tripped me up as well. The title of um, what was it? The I've forgotten now. The um, learn by learn by doing. Was it doing doing by learning? Was that the other well, one? It was actually it was do, um, learn. It's actually sorry, I've got it here. I was just looking at doing by learning because yeah. you, you're right. He switched it. He he, yeah, switched, yeah. he switched it. Yeah, that tripped me up because I, I was like, hang on a minute, I I learn by doing because I'm I'm not like a sort of go and get it and and find out the consequences later on um sort of person i've, I've learned a lot of a lot of things from that and by reading the chapter i was thinking this is the way around to what i was thinking That's, yeah no, totally it opens you up to it but um yeah so i wrote down whilst i was reading it um teaching yeah i mean i'm quite a person about self-learning anyway i listen to a lot of podcasts and um, especially the joe rogan podcast talk, again listening to so many people that know a lot more than me um, and famous people and people that have been there and done stuff I want to do. It's always self-learning is a really, really important thing for me anyway. Uh, but for people listening, that chapter is like a constant reminder to, to always be learning for me. Um, yeah, really, really important. So we go to the next one. So Thief. Yeah. Uh, Thief is done by Mark Earls, who is a uh, founder of the Herd Consultancy. So Mark, Mark, um, Mark is the most... Uh, experience of us in terms of writing he's written his own books like heard uh, brilliant book copy 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 so you know this was really interesting for him because you know he'd written a whole book 
um, about thieving, basically. Yeah. And we said to him, well, do you know what? One of, one of our sections is called Thief. Um, you know, Mark is one of my best mates in the industry. Uh, and I couldn't think of anyone else doing the section. So it's kind of that challenge again. I know you've written a whole book around copy, 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 but could you write a section within this book, but make it different? Um, and so partly we make that different because, you know, yes, he introduces this idea of, of, of the power of thieving. So stealing off others. Um, and really, it's not just about stealing off others. It's actually taking other people's ideas and making them better. I think that's fundamentally at the heart. Um, you know, but then get some really interesting people within it to bring those to life. So, you know, he brought some, you know, brilliant people within there. I think, you know, the one that um, Rosie and Farris uh, are very known within advertising circles. So they uh, have their own business called Genius Steel. So really they gave their framework of what they worked. He did a great interview with uh, Jay Smith Esquire, who um, is, uh, I, never, I, I, never, I never get it right, but he makes hats. But there is a, there is, there is a fancy word for what that is. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and I think the one that, you know, that, uh, yeah, the one that I really, really liked um, was one by Alistair Barr and, and really talking about architecture and, you know, how architecture has changed as a result of uh, the internet and, uh, you know, how the architecture has changed by um, getting people to, to, to you know, come to, to accept that, that actually they were copying, everyone's copying off the same books and all of a sudden your, your platform from where you can copy is, is completely opened up thanks to the internet. And, you know, I thought that was intriguing, especially just to look at something like architecture, which, which clearly fits very much in line with a lot of the work that your audience will be doing in terms of design, you know, and really ringing true. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one because obviously in design, copying logo i'm a logo designer so thinking about copying logos uh is, is a very right touchy subject because of copyright laws and getting sued and, and all that sort of stuff you know you can't just outright copy it so I was when when i it sort of got more into copying and improving it that's when i, th I was thinking all oh, right yeah this is this is actually true um and yeah it, it got some interesting stuff out of that uh how, how you can um i even paint like it was talking about paintings in the book and, and taking certain parts and certain styles and we're encouraged as designers to take like curves of a logo that you like or a style that you like and then apply it to something else taking different parts different components and mashing them all together um which is which is cool uh, that's i think we've seen i think we've seen haven't we there's that post that i think was went did the rounds about a year in the last year about the airbnb logo and yeah you know, all these logos within that famous book you know there's that one famous book yeah, that logo all, yeah yeah you know you like and you see all these logos of new startups that you know just look exactly the same <laughs> you know and you could you could kind of think you know it, 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 with a really cynical hat on someone just gone and copied it but that's not how it happens right i mean that's that's what mark's talking about mark's talking about uh, there's no such thing as originality you know uh, grace and perry uh, says originality is for people with short memories. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, the truth is there's no such thing as originality. And I think what I think is really interesting about what Mark talks about, he says that actually the best copying is where you where you copy from afar. You know, you know, go and, and that's why that's why you look at creatives, any kind of creative. You know, this key skill. You know, I run agencies, so for me, you know, the one thing that I always look for was curiosity because. You know, you can only really find those things from afar if you're curious and you, get, you go and look for things that actually aren't yeah. in your day-to-day. -day. So, you know, for your listeners who are designers, actually the last thing they should be doing is sitting there reading books about design. Um, you know, what they should be doing is looking at architecture, looking at, um, uh, to a certain extent, looking at nature books. Um, you know, looking at things that are as far away as they can from their day to day, and that's where you get where that's where you get the real magic happening, yeah. uh, and the, the uh, and the things that are copied, but actually within your field will feel very original and very fresh. When it comes to design, how do you get away from that copying and, and letting it sort of sit in your back back your head? If you see a logo and then spacing it back out again for another different a different client, how do you? sort of get away from that is it just like you say looking at other industries and looking at something else and apart from other logos or well don't look at other logos i mean that's the yeah. first thing to do right that's the that's you, know, I, I, you know i had a brilliant example where you know someone i had an idea about about five years ago 
I won't go into the idea because the person listening to this podcast might know who I'm, talk- who I'm talking about. But, you know, it was an idea. And it was an interesting idea. And it was a very clear idea. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, six months later, I got an email inviting me to the exactly the same format. I mean, it literally was kind of word for word. And I kind of went to him. I said, oh, it's great that you've taken it, but you could have just, you know, you could have just acknowledged it or just spoken to me. And he went, he went there's absolutely no way that I've nicked this off you. Yeah, I knew nothing about it. And I just forwarded him the email that I sent him, right? So he's yeah. got the email, but the reality was he'd completely forgotten about it. Yeah, and it stayed in his subconscious and it came out. Um, you know, and, th- and that's what happens. So to a certain extent, my advice would be, you know, try and avoid looking, ever looking at other people's logos. Uh, you know, go, go, far, go as far away as possible and the more likely you're going to be original. Uh, and also, to be honest with you, the less you do look at it, if you do end up creating something that looks like someone else's, at least then you can feel a bit better about yourself. And know, actually, I probably didn't see that logo. I didn't think about it. And I actually feel like, um, and you shouldn't feel bad about it because actually coming back to it, there is no such thing as originality. So, you know, there's going to be something in the world that might look at something you designed. Um, yeah, and, you know, and having that confidence that actually it, it, it was by combining that thing with that thing over there with that thing over there, it just so happens someone else might have combined three things and got to the same thing. Yeah, I think, I think especially in design, you can be quick to judge people as copycats as well. And there's there very, is. Um, yeah, so, but what do you do if you have done that? Do you just, if, if, if subconsciously you have copied a logo or taken it and improved it, how do you step away from that and just say, okay, that's that, I'll move on now? Yeah, I, mean, I, think you ha- I think you have to, as long as you're deep down in your heart, you realise that actually you're a good person, that's not what you've done. I mean, that, that comes, that's what it comes down to. And actually saying, you know, being honest and saying, I'm sorry if it looked like that, but it's not, it isn't, that isn't the process it went through. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the time just saying, um, I can understand where you're coming from or from a frustrating perspective um, and, and getting that. And I think for me, you know, there's a lot of copying that does happen. And I think where I've seen really good examples of it is say, for example, um, you know, it's a, there was, there was something, I don't, when Instagram first came out, someone had created something called Instacat. I don't really remember, but all they did is they aggregated all cats on Instagram onto this website. <laughs> yeah. So we came up with an idea, which was, well, let's do the same thing. Uh, and I think we came up on, on a Friday before the Cannes Advertising Festival. We came up with the idea. Uh, and um, we needed someone to build it. And we, 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 we literally, I saw Instacan. I wouldn't it be interested if we did Instacan Lion? Yeah, as a kind of like PR thing. Uh, and then we asked someone, will they do it to us? And they kind of went, well, have you thought about actually asking the person that came up with Instacat? And straight away, we, went, we hadn't actually. And that's just silly because... We'd much rather he, he, you know, run, run, nicking what he's done and you know, and building on it. We'd much rather he'd actually part of that project. So he came on board and initially he, he quoted us a really tiny fee, really tiny fee, uh, and he did it. And he, 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 he we actually managed managed to make it work within two days. You know, we hosted it, we bought the URL, it went live, we put the PR out, and then when it came down to it, we said to invoice, he said, oh no, don't invoice because it's given me so much traffic and so much PR that actually I'm more than delighted. And you know, that's a lovely story, right? Because it's, it's a win-win. Uh, and that really came from, um, and it didn't come from, you know, we didn't think about it straight away, but then someone said, do it. And we kind of went, yeah, that makes total sense. So I think for me, where you do find something that you want to build on, if you can even integrate and speak to the people that have done it, that makes it even better, you know, and actually giving them the credit, I think is really important. Yeah, no, that's a good way of doing it. Um, how, how can people copy, one last thing on this copying thing, because it's important for designers, how can people copy, I know, I suppose you let them read the book, but how can they copy and, and, not, and like you say, not feel guilty? I don't know, how, how can they take certain aspects of it rather than just looking at the shape and then taking that and using it as their own? Well, I think, I think to a certain extent, it goes back to that whole, that whole adage. Um, uh, getting, if you want inspiration for an idea, uh, trying to get it now is just not going to work, right? So for me, copying comes from, you know, where, again, I think you mentioned it's your subconscious. 
is really you should just be spending a lot of your time being curious and just putting stuff in your head. Right, yeah. And actually, when you need to sit down and design something, you have to design a logo, it's actually just being opening, you know, giving yourself the space, maybe doing street wisdom, going walking in the street, have it going around in the back of your head so you're connecting things. And only then would, do you sit down and then start drawing that logo. So the logo, there's nothing in your recent thing that, that, that has influenced it. It's actually all the stuff that's happening in your back of your head that's influenced it. And I think that's, that's probably the advice I'd give. Although, you know, I have to admit, I'm not a designer. So, um, I like it. It's good advice. Right. Uh, hacker. So hacker. So yeah, hack, hacking. I mean, I spent a lot of time. I was, I was in today with a client, um, getting them to hack their, their organization and their day to day to, um, actually be more inclusive and start to solve some of the problems. So, you know, hacking really comes from, you know, comes from, so if you look at the computer hacker, you know, the term, you know, the, the word hacker itself was first, um, was first invented by MIT's train labs. It was actually nothing to do with computers. And all it was doing is just understanding that sometimes the best way of solving the problem is cutting it, cutting it into smaller pieces and actually taking those smaller pieces and then solving those different pieces uh, separately to then solve the bigger issue. So, you know, and we, we're starting to see a real movement within terminology uh, within uh, the space. Uh, I'm just going to pull something up uh, and try and talk while I'm doing it. Uh, but, you know, I think what's interesting for me when we started talking about this idea of hacking, it didn't really exist in the lexicon, you know, in Wikipedia, it still was a computer hacker. Although, um, although we had far more, far more um, people talking about life hacking, uh, and we're, we're seeing a lot coming out of Silicon Valley, specifically around uh, growth hacking. So how can you grow a startup very quickly through lots of small different um, growth hacks? So uh, small changes that actually make a big difference to your business. So one of the, the most famous growth hacks that I talk about in the book um, is Craigslist and you know a very simple way of... Um, Airbnb using actually Craigslist by allowing people so the coders went in so that if you wanted to put your Airbnb onto Craigslist, it just happened automatically. Uh, and that was really understanding the code. You know, simple things like hacks like YouTube. I mean, people forget this, but when YouTube first started, you couldn't embed YouTube videos anywhere. You know, the only place to watch YouTube videos was actually on YouTube. Hmm. Well, I don't know what the stats are now, yeah. but I'm guessing probably 90% of YouTube videos are probably not watched on YouTube. And that just took one person in the business saying, okay, how about we give people code so they can embed, embed it in their website? You know, a very simple hack that makes a huge difference. And if I go back to history, the hacker that I love talking about, simply because the more you read about it, the more you understand about it, you realize that actually she's someone that's probably saved more lives than anyone else. And that's uh, Florence Nightingale. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Florence Nightingale, um, you know, she was a statistician. She loved numbers, uh, but she ended up as a nurse in, uh, in, the, in 1854 in the Crimea War. And all she did is she started to write down every time someone died what they died of. And, you know, what she found over a period of time was actually more people were dying from infection or disease they caught in the hospital than the wounds themselves. So what she, she summarised was actually the hospitals are killing more people in the war. Mm. And so the very simple hack, she said, okay, so what's causing this? So the very simple hack she did is she got surgeons to wash their hands and wash their instruments between surgeries. Until that time, no one had been doing that. I mean, I know, it's, I know it sounds mad, but it, <laughs> it just, it's just true. And if you, so if you think about the impact she's had on... Uh, on society, on lives, and changing everything that happens within hospitals, yeah. you start to go, that's amazing. Um, you know, and some other people might have had that idea, but she's the one that actually executed it and made it happen. And the other person I talk about a lot in the book is Sir David Brailsford, um, who used uh, marginal gains to turn a team. You know, people forget that when Sir David Brailsford took over the Sky Great Britain's cycling team in 2010, 
with with the remit of actually winning medals at the 2012 in the previous olympics five olympics they'd won you know the british cycling team hadn't won that many medals but yet he went in and said okay i'm gonna not just look at one thing i'm not gonna just look at getting you fitter physically fitter i'm gonna look at every single thing that i think um contributes to the success of an athlete i'm going to improve everything by one to two percent it's a very small amount but i'm just going to look at everything you know and you know it's that whole idea of marginal gains by making lots and lots of marginal gains actually you make a huge gain you know and that british team won seven out of 12 of the gold medals at the games which is one of the most successful teams in history you know and if i go back to wikipedia you know, this definition has come up with hacker culture and it's the hacker culture is a subculture of individuals who enjoy the intellectual challenge of creatively overcoming and circumventing limitations of software systems to achieve novel and clever outcomes. The hack I'm suggesting on that definition is just to take the word at the word software out. Yes. Once you take the word software, out, you can take any system. And so as culture change consultants what we're doing is we're really looking at the corporate system and how organizations are set up and saying how can we look at your organization how can we look at your organization system and how can we find creative ways of actually improving that system yeah, and that's fundamentally what we do as a business and you can take that idea of hacking and you can you can actually once you become a hacker you can you can make differences every day in everything you do in your life to actually make it better. So, you know, one of the things that I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have read or look at quite regularly, because I look at them, is productivity hacks. You know, yeah, especially on Instagram when you see the it's all the videos on Instagram of the sort of life hacks. They're the ones that, that get me sort of fall into the massive trap of watching 10 of them at a time. Totally, <laughs> totally. And there is and there is that thing that makes me laugh is you sometimes you sometimes spend too long reading a post about a productivity hack and you're going, okay, I'm sure I could have spent a more productive time on this. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the reality is you are putting a short-term investment because if you find a really good productivity hack and you repeat it and you repeat it and you repeat it, you're saving lots and lots and lots of time. And in saving that time, you can do more making. Uh, you know, and, and that, you know, a lot of what we are talking about is actually making fundamentally, you know, you can spend more time putting stuff into products or ideas into the ecosystem and understanding which ones really connect, uh, which ones really start to make people interesting. So that's why, you know, a conversation like this is so important to us because, you know, we've got these four creative superpowers of hacking, making, teaching and thieving. And we still don't know where they're going to go. You know, we put this book out three months ago uh, and we like hearing the stories of where people have taken them and where they're going to take them because actually we can learn ourselves about where the value really lies in these superpowers. So I'd love to hear what you thought about hacking. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to apply it to my own life and one of the main uh, things I remember from it is the, the, the having two parts to a day. So the morning being the input and the yes. afternoon being the output. Um, that was that was incredible. I thought, wow, actually, that's that's one way to do it. Because I'm always in the morning, always thinking about YouTube videos. I'm always wanting to watch some YouTube videos, and this could be a really good excuse to get some actually useful time watching some interesting content and actually improve my life. Going back to that learning and teaching phase, if I implement a bit of that in my mornings, um, it, one, it will wake me up and get me my brain started, and two, it will actually well, help me. <laughs> yeah, most days. I mean, most days I try and avoid reading email to eleven o'clock. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That's so I spend a lot of time. We talk about deep work. I don't think I talked about it in the book, but we talk quite a lot about the importance of deep deep work, which was invented by Cal Newport. And mm. um, you know, and, and when we go to clients, you know, it's like, you know, the, it just shows how you know deep work for a, for a lot of people before the internet and before distraction was just what people did, right? <laughs> you know, you didn't have that. You didn't have that distraction. You had different distractions. You had telephone calls. You had, you know, people still knocking on the door, but you, know, you just had more time to get stuff done. And so for me, you know, I try, and for me, it's really important that. You know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have a productive day, if I can spend nine to eleven, just sitting there and doing, you know, spending an hour on one thing and maybe spending an hour on something else and actually getting stuff done, I already know I've had a good day. 
Mm. Yeah, and then, yes, email might get in the way of the rest of that day in terms of what you can and what you can't do. And, you know, some new things come in, which means you've got to drop other stuff. But at least I know that I've got a real chunk of stuff that I need to do. And, you know, I, I can focus on the stuff that really matters. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, we spend a lot of time really getting people to understand how they can hack their days, how they can hack their productivity, um, how they can hack their creativity. Um, you know, you can use hacking for a lot. You can actually use hacking for a lot of things. And you know, these superpowers aren't mutually exclusive. You know, uh, you know what one thing that we, we we do encourage people to do is really to hack down some of the barriers that are getting in the way of them being productive. And then you know, we will get people to go, okay fine you know we, we would like get them to go now you've seen these issues you need to solve these issues you need to hack them yeah. so what would david do what would david bowie do yeah what would and you know what would lady gaga do uh you know what would michelle obama do you know so again that's a real that's the kind of the, the thief element of going well let's just get your brain thinking differently you know we even sometimes use what would donald trump do uh, not because we think Donald Trump's going to give you the right answer. Actually, we believe Donald Trump's going to give you the wrong answer. But what's interesting is by getting some of our teams, we've done it before, we've got them to think what Donald Trump's do. What they then did is they went, they went okay, what's the opposite of that? Yeah. And actually, they, they got their solution by looking at what the opposite of what Donald Trump would do. Yeah. yeah so, you know, these, these superpowers are... One, they're not mutually exclusive. They, they sit very much hand in hand. And I think the one thing that we do talk about in the book is this isn't about one superpower being better than another. Um, we're not all, myself, Laura, Mark and Scott, aren't all trying to compete about whose superpower is stronger. Um, you know, we, we truly believe if you, if you want to thrive in this age of creativity, you actually have to have all four um, and understand how how you can really get the most value from all four of those superpowers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this is really, the, I mean, the Hackathon appeals, I know it's not a competition, but the Hackathon appeals to me the most, mainly, mainly because I'm doing, I'm try, I think I'm doing more of the other three. Um, the That's interesting. Yeah, I think I, I need to implement the Hackathon a bit more because um, I'm constantly thinking about how can, I, how can I improve my day? I do it for a couple of days and it goes away, it fades away. I'm never, I'm not strict enough to keep it going. I'm not strict enough to actually fully implement it. Uh, and that's something I, I want to say out loud because I know that my brain is saying that I'm not, I'm not sticking to something. Um, even if it's. Well, I can tell you now, I can tell you now, Dave Bedward, who's who I talked about, who, who splits his day. Uh, yeah. That is his ideal day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I caught up with him recently, and he went, "Yeah, that never happens, right?" <laughs> That's my ideal day. Uh, and you know, and I, you know, so I ran a workshop today. We started at uh, ten o'clock. We had to set up, so by nine o'clock, I was in a workshop all day. So I wasn't checking email. But I couldn't do deep work. Um, yeah. but, you know, so every day is different. But I think you do as a hacker. You're always just constantly finding new ways to do stuff. Um, you know, we do a lot of events, so you know. You know, suddenly a lot of the time you go, okay, that's not working. Yeah, and I think the real risk is you get stressed about it not working. Um, and I don't, I never get stressed about what working. I just go, okay, what can I try? Yeah, what can I try? And you know, so yesterday um, for one particular event, I went onto LinkedIn and I tried to contact some people on LinkedIn, um, and I've had two people come back. Yeah, but I might not use LinkedIn again for four months, five months. Yeah. You know, because LinkedIn's not, you know, I don't, you know, LinkedIn was relevant because I thought we had something really interesting to say and to connect to people. So I don't want to be cold spamming people or cold calling them or, you know, feeling like they're being sold to. But this was us actually giving stuff away and giving value away. So in that particular, it was relevant. But, you know, next week there'll be something else and I'll find a completely new solution for it. But, you know, you know what you know, the other thing that I would say is, you know, if we look at book sales, you know, um, you know, if you look at publishing a book, you know, we're doing a number of things. So we are hacking it the whole time. So how can we get the book into more people's hands? And, you know, clearly speaking to you and, you know, we would love it if you, your listeners listen to this and want to buy the book. You know, that's, that's fundamentally this, that's part of growth hacking. But, you know, even if they just get one thing out of this and 
take it away that's that's you know that, that that's also value itself but you know while we're trying these hacks i'm also you know one of the, one of the things i've done is i've created a um whatsapp group called authors anonymous which is a number of authors that i really like and you know we're just sharing tips on this so you know we're stealing off each other you know something works we tell people it we've tried it and this worked so other people can then go and try it um and i think it's really that that kind of that's a great example of hacking thieving teaching uh, and then actually going to try it yeah, yeah and seeing and seeing what works and what doesn't work yeah awesome yeah that uh, sounds really good uh, thanks very much for being on the podcast pleasure it's been great one one last thing like a couple of things actually uh so first of all i want to start off with like a quote from from the book my favorite quote was and i, I think it applies to designers that's why i like it the most but the uh it's the ability to set the vision of the world for others to follow I thought, I, was quite, I thought it was quite nice. I thought it who, quite, whose quote was that? That's, that's the thing I can't remember. Um, <laughs> but, Don't worry, yeah. I've got I've got the text. So I'll be able to search that. That'll be fine. <laughs> but for, the, for designers having the ability to to set that vision to create something, and then other people just to just to like it and follow it and, and share it and, and get behind it, I think that's the aim of what I want to do in life. I think that's yeah, creating something that other people can support and and like. Um, I think that's what designers do. Anyway, uh, so what, for the last two questions I ask a lot of people and I ask everyone on the show. Uh, first of all, what's your best purchase under $100? Under £100 because we're in the UK. Always, it's always American people, isn't it? Yeah, that's the best purchase of, oh, under $100. Uh, that's a really, really good question. Can you ask me the next question? I'll come back to it. <laughs> it's not any easier. Um, so... How do you want to be remembered? It's the last question I ask everyone. How do you want to be remembered? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Um, how do I want to be remembered? Uh, I suppose as someone that brought happiness to the world, I know it sounds really, really, oh, that's good. Uh, really, really twee, but um, you know, I, um, someone, someone has, you know, we talk about superpowers. Someone has said to me that, uh, my superpower is I smile a lot um, and you know I like that uh, uh, you know I think for me uh, bringing energy to the world um, and actually getting people to smile is really really important so uh, hopefully that's how I'd like to be remembered uh, I'm not funny so it's not I wouldn't be making people laugh I just think it's making people smile uh, and helping inspire them I think uh, product over under a hundred dollars what would it be um, wow uh, that's a really, really good question. I'm trying to think what's had the most impact. Oh, do you know what? I, 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 I listen. I'm, I'm, you know, come back to creativity. Come back to time. I would probably say it's probably just slightly. Let me. I'm just trying to work out. I'm probably just hit it actually. Uh, if it's a hundred pounds, I would probably say my annual, either Netflix or Amazon subscription. Um, I think you know if I look at um, if I look at downtime uh, and the importance of downtime, um, you know where where well, I think I just switched my brain off. You know, movies are re actually really important to me. That, that you know I'm very passionate about movies. The other the other thing I'd probably say would be my old very old uh, iPod. <laughs> they do they do still exist. Uh, iPod Mini uh, because I run a lot. Um, and I listen to, um, I listen to entertainment uh, on every run. So I've got, I've got to say hello to Jason Isaacs because that's kind of what I have to do. But yes, uh, I would probably actually go back and I'll say my iPod uh, and listening to um, other podcasts while I'm running. Brilliant. Um, yeah, do they still, they still sell the iPods on Apple's website? Well, they, well, what, what are they called? I'm just, you're just, you're just, yeah, it's, the, it's the little one. It's the, the little thin one. I said, they do, they do. Cause I, I bought one recently. Oh, really? I've got, um, I've got an iPod shuffle. It's my first ever Apple products. It's kicking around somewhere. I'm just going to, I, I'm probably just, I'm probably going mad. I'm sorry. I'm, just, I, I, I'm it's, it's, it's quite late at the moment. So, yeah. um, I don't know where it is. I've had a little blue iPod shuffle and it's around here somewhere. Oh, it's some really bad music. Yeah, no, it's, uh, no, they probably don't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at it going, uh, do they? 
maybe not. iPod is yeah, it's the iPod Touch. iPod Touch, nice. Yeah. Yeah, cool. no, I haven't actually got the iPod Touch because that's just that's just an iPhone that's been redone, hasn't it? Yeah. It was the really small. It's the really small one. I you know you. I think you still get it. In, I still. I think you still can get them in in uh, in airports. But you, might, you might actually be right. It's been a while since I bought one. Is that the uh, is that the clip-on one with the, the no screen? It's the it's actually the small one. It does have no. It's the it's the small thin one. All right. The really the really I think the really thin one. Um, it's yeah. the shuffle. But yes, yes I'm not sure what they might be right. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, they're cool. I, I I I don't know why they got rid of them. I think it's for for runners. It's perfect. It is, but now they've got it on the phone and you've got it on the iWatch, you know, they're, they're, oh, the watch, they're yeah. trying to force me, they're trying to get, force me to get an iWatch, but I'm just not going to do it. My, my, fit, my Fitbit's the thing that really uh, keeps me going. I was thinking, what have they done to replace it? But obviously the watch has come in, you don't even need your phone now. Totally. Uh, totally. So where can people find you and buy the book as well? Yeah, so they can buy the book on any good bookstore. So... Uh, type in creative superpowers on Amazon or Hive, or you can also go to Waterstones. Uh, and where they can find me is on Twitter at Yellief, or We Are Utopians, either on Twitter or Instagram, or just type in Daniele Fiendaka on LinkedIn, um, and um, and let me know where it'd be good to connect. Nice one, yeah. Go out and get the book. Definitely. Uh, yeah thanks for actually being on the podcast and also just very quickly if anyone does read the book um and they enjoy it and they want to uh, uh, they uh, they they want they would like to put a positive review on amazon <laughs> or good reads yeah. uh, just send me a copy of that lovely review and we will send you a gift ah oh, that's nice yeah awesome great thank you there it is Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. This was a really fun episode for me to record. I haven't actually read a book for a podcast before, so this was slightly different and I quite enjoyed it. The book has definitely opened me up to a new way of thinking. As mentioned on the podcast, the way of input and output, splitting a day in half, is definitely something I've been implementing since recording this episode, and it's been working really well for me. I found that I get a lot more done trying to push everything into a small amount of time. Obviously there are times where I don't do it and I have to do some output in the morning when I've got too much work on. But following this basic structure has really helped. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with a friend. Tag us on social media at Blue Deer Designer at Creative Waffle. That would really, really help us a lot if you left us a review on iTunes or YouTube in the comments. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you listening and I'll see you in the next one.